going to read that opening to Luke's gospel, which just kind of like sets it up, the whole sort of book. And it's really, really important verses. So let me read to you what Luke says right at the start of Luke's gospel. He says this, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully invested everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that have been taught. That's how Luke, the physician, the doctor, opens his gospel. This is a carefully researched document from eyewitnesses, from people that really saw what was happening, an ordered account of things that have taken place. We can have real confidence in what Luke is saying and in what Luke is writing and sharing and has been kept for us to read and digest and know. With that in mind, let me read from Luke chapter 2. And we are starting at verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of doves, or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, from the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Mary and Joseph had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. 
he was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. And Lord, may the grace of God be on Patrick as he speaks to us now. Amen. I think we're all going to need a lot of grace. (laughs) So it's really good to have an opportunity to come and share with you this evening. Um, The theme is about waiting, and it's waiting rewarded. So I've been thinking a little bit about waiting and time and clocks and things like that. We're about to chuck this out. I found it in the garage. It's a clock. Uh, Up until this morning, it wasn't telling the time. I had it dismantled on the kitchen table, and I managed to get it working with a few kicks and twists and everything like that. But thinking about time and scripture, how do we understand time? There's different ways of thinking about time. Sometimes we think about time in terms of chronos, chronology, one thing after another, after another, after another. And if your life's anything like mine, there's never enough time. I'm sometimes a bit lastminute.com, and when it comes to waiting, it just sometimes feels such a waste of time. This idea of chronos time is going to feature in our passage this evening. And then there's the thinking about time like kairos and kairos moments. These are the moments where God seems to break in. It's, uh, they're very important moments where we encounter God. And I, for one, long for these moments, long to encounter God in a very, very deep and special way in our passage this evening. There's some kairos moments, memorable moments, moments that can't happen quite the same ever again. And then there's um, thinking about time from God's perspective. And I struggle to get my head around this because our God is called the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. He's a God of eternity, a God of eternal love. And the message of the gospel is that you and me are invited into deep fellowship with him in this moment, in this Kairos moment, but for the rest of eternity. When we're thinking about waiting on God, what do you think we mean by it? I think it means different things to different people. When I wait on God, and I'm practicing at this, I'm wanting God to break in to my life. I want God often to do something, and very often he doesn't do it quick enough for my liking. Maybe I'm wanting him to speak, and one of the wonderful ways that he speaks, and I'll talk about this later, is through the obvious way, through his word. I want him to reveal himself, to guide us, to give us assurance, to show us his love, uh, to forgive and know that I'm forgiven, to give me understanding. And maybe on an ongoing, continuous basis, to fill me with his holy and life-giving spirit. When you wait on God, if you wait on God... 
What do you expect to happen? In the passage this evening, we have baby Jesus, 40 days old. Incidentally, there were no clocks like this in the New Testament or the Old Testament. What might they have had instead? I think so. Things like sundials. The sundial had only gone round its circuit 40 times when Jesus was presented at the temple. The parents wanted to do the right thing by God to satisfy the religious requirements of the law. I hadn't noticed this until I looked at the commentary, but in the passage that you've had this evening, you don't have Bibles in front of you, you might have phones. I regret this, but even if you had Bibles, you wouldn't be able to see them. But you have to take my word for this. Five times in this very short passage, we're told about Mary and Joseph's compliance with the religious laws. Verse 22, verse 23, verse 24, verse 27, verse 39. They did everything required of the law. The law wasn't shaped in Bibles like this, but this is a visual representation for us about God's word, his promises, and the things that Jesus came to fulfill. Jesus fulfilled in his life the full requirements of the law and so much more. Today, um, we have the Holy Spirit. I think it was one of the groups that was looking at the story. They, They were realizing just how hard it must have been for the people in New Testament times to fulfill the requirements of the law and to do everything. There's just this revelation someone was just sharing. Yeah, we have the law, we have the scriptures, but we have the Holy Spirit too. We've sung this evening, come Lord Jesus, come Holy Spirit and open our minds and our hearts to understand and receive your word. In the passage, we have two religious requirements and needing to be met, to be satisfied. The first, Mary was ceremonially unclean. Why? I heard someone say that. She just had a baby. It seems like a strange thing, doesn't it? You've just had the baby, not any ordinary baby, the saviour of the world. And in order to fulfil the requirements of the law. She was ceremonially unclean for 40 days. Secondly, Jesus as the firstborn was God's possession. He needed to be consecrated, set apart for God. Richard said I couldn't use this word without explaining it a little bit. But it's like us giving our whole selves to God, placing ourselves in God's hands for his purposes. Mary is doing something similar to what Hannah did in the Old Testament by taking Jesus to the temple. She took Samuel to the temple. Mary is waiting to be cleansed, 
so she can socialize again. Simeon the priest in the temple in Jerusalem was waiting to consecrate Jesus as the Messiah. Luke 2 verse 23 refers back to the story of Exodus in the Old Testament. Exodus 13 verse 1, the firstborn fruit of every womb belongs to God and needs to be offered back to him. And as a willing act of thanksgiving and duty, Mary and Joseph were supposed to offer a year-old lamb, a pigeon and a dove as a sin offering, Leviticus 12 verse 6, for Jesus. It's interesting that they offered this offering for Jesus and as Christians we believe that Jesus never sinned. But it was an example to us about what we need. Now they couldn't afford the expensive sin offerings so they went as cheap as they possibly could and all they could afford was a couple of doves. Anyone like doves? Anyone knows what happens to these doves? It's not good news to be a dove in the temple, is it? These doves were offered as a sacrifice to God. And before we get too upset when it comes to sacrifice, how about it's your son? Jesus became the once for all sacrifice for all of us for all time. Simeon was righteous and devout. He, he was waiting for the Lord, the Lord's Messiah. And the Holy Spirit had promised Simeon that he wasn't going to die until he'd seen the Messiah. What a promise. I've never heard a promise like that. And even if I did hear a promise like that, I doubt very much I'd have hung around in the temple for so long for it to happen. Seemed impossible. Simeon only had one thing on his life bucket list or action list, and that was wait, waiting for the Lord to appear. Verse 27, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms, and praised God. Now the words that Simeon uses, for those of you who've uh, maybe um, been in church longer than you dare um, remember, but they're, they're words that have been used in church for over, I think, 1,600 years in religious communities. And some of you will know the words are the nunctimittis, and we used to have them when I was growing up in sort of Evensong and things like that. I remember, not a happy thought, I used to have to listen to Evensong before I packed off to boarding school at the age of eight, and I wasn't rejoicing with Simeon when I heard these words. It goes like this. Sovereign Lord... 
As you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. Simeon looked at Jesus, held Jesus, lifted Jesus up, and knew that he was the saviour for all people, all nations, for all time. With salvation, there's no middle ground. Either we're a friend of Jesus and a child of God, or we're not. You can't be half a Christian or a little bit of a Christian. You have to be a wholehearted follower of Jesus, and that's quite hard to do. It's a little bit scary, but it's a lot more scary not having God, um, his, uh, his help in our lives. Some people were, are, open to discovering Jesus as their friend and saviour and open to encountering with him. Tragically, many then and now despised and rejected Jesus. Verse 33, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and will be a sign that's spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. I'd like you just to imagine for a few moments what it must have been like to be Mary. You're presenting your child at the temple. You must be completely overjoyed. You're probably hoping the prophet there or the priest is going to say something rather nice. Instead, she hears that whilst there's tremendous joy and celebration at Jesus' birth, this is going to be a difficult journey for her. She's going to have to watch Jesus be ridiculed and suffered and punished and brutalized and crucified and buried. She's also going to see him rise again. But she's going to need to go through some of the tough stuff. And that's the awkward thing. I don't want to put anyone off Christianity. But with the sort of Christianity we believe in, it's not pain-free. We have to do real life. The way of Christ is the way of cross-carrying that goes through resurrection and then goes through crucifixion to resurrection. As I was trying to say a few weeks ago, we need also to do Holy Saturday, this time of waiting and hoping and uncertainty. Sometimes, some of you here probably have this sense that something's really got you deeply. Maybe like the image that I'm using at the moment, it's like a sword 
The Apostle Paul talked about a thorn in the flesh, which he pleaded and pleaded with God to be removed. And I think we can plead for God to remove swords and bring healing and remove thorns as well. But sometimes they don't get removed. And the Apostle Paul says that he's going to glorify God in his weakness and that God's grace is going to need to be enough. I'd just like us to reflect for a few moments on Anna. Those of you that are good at maths, and Dom's not allowed to answer this because he heard it earlier, but she was 84 years old. Her life was not pain-free, but she was free. She is a widow of many, many, many years. They married very young, and they used to marry very young in the New Testament. I'm being generous here to suggest that she was, remember this, she was married at 17. I'm just guessing. And she was married for seven years. How many years was she a widow for? Yeah, she's got it. That's a lot of time, isn't it? She could have been really miserable for 60 years, couldn't she? And really sorry for herself for 60 years, yet God had a higher purpose and a higher calling for her. Remarkably, despite her loss and her personal pain, which must have been deep, she enjoyed a deep relationship with God. She was faithful, she fasted, she prayed, and she anticipated God's coming. Now she was able to join with Simeon in thanksgiving at the most special Kairos moment imaginable. I've got three images and a few thoughts and then a couple of stories to close. So the first image is around the Bible. And in the passage we're told that... Joseph and Mary fulfilled the law. We know in other sections from the Bible that Jesus fulfilled prophecy. And my, um, just my encouragement to you this season, if God speaks through his Bible, and that's one of the primary ways that he speaks to us, and we're desperate to know from God, could we ask him to give us the grace actually to open the Bible and to read it and inwardly digest it and talk about it with others. And I invite you uh, to go on this journey with the story. Dom again was telling me that people don't do reading out of books anymore. Is that right? You're going to need to be creative then. Because if God's speaking to you through his Bible and you're not reading it, uh, maybe you can look at it on your phone and maybe you could listen to it too. And the journey we're going on I don't want this to be a burdensome thing, so go at your own pace. But can I encourage you to find someone to chat to about it? So the first thing is God's word. The second thing is the sword. I just want you to reflect for a few moments on where you feel that something's wounded you very, very deeply. And maybe this evening, just in naming that thing, can be the beginning of maybe the Anna journey for God, despite your pain and despite 
your sufferings to set you on a slightly different direction in life that's faithful to God and doesn't wallow in the pain as painful as it is. And to know this, that God's grace is sufficient for all of us. The third image is the doves, the cheapest possible uh, consecration offering there was. But it's just a question for each of us. God invites us to be all in and not a little bit in. What aspects of our lives might we be holding back from surrendering to God? Consecration is a setting apart. It's a placing ourselves maybe in God's loving arms. Maybe it's a call for some of us not just to place ourselves in God's loving arms, but a person we love who's going through a struggle in a situation that we can't possibly fix on our own. Maybe it's a job or a university that you hope for. Maybe you've got a God-given gift uh, that you just need to commit back to him so that he can use it more fully. Maybe it's a ministry. Before um, I got um, through the selection process to be a vicar, I think you know this, I go on about it quite a lot really. The Church of England, they're still not very sure about me, probably, but I am a vicar now and it's quite hard to undo uh, unless I'm very not very good. Okay, so I'm not planning on doing that. But um, there was quite a filter process for people like me when I was going through. And I was sent to this uh, bloke down the road who was an Anglo-Catholic. And I remember him vividly. He's a good bloke. He liked me, which was quite helpful, really. But I think it was to broaden me out a little bit. And uh, we used to, I remember some of the things we used to talk about. But he gave me a book by Frances Havigal. And she was an evangelical Christian for many, many years ago and wrote loads and loads and loads of hymns. And I was surprised if he was trying to broaden me out. He'd give me an evangelical Christian book to read. But his purpose is this lady had a really troublesome life. Uh, she was beset uh, by ill health. She also suffered from depression. And in the pit, there's a short life, but in her life she wrote some very, very beautiful and profound um, hymns which must have come from the depth of her being. And this is one of them, for me, that speaks of consecration. You don't have to sing it. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my King. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. Take my will 
and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour. At thy feet its treasure store. Take myself, and I will be ever only all for thee. I want to finish with a story. I've told this story before. As I said um, a couple of weeks ago, because we forget everything anyway in about a week, I can recycle my stories every two weeks. So uh, here's one. Someone, uh, <laughs> my prayer partner, who used to work with uh, Youth with a Mission, gave me this Bible on the 6th of the 10th, 97. It's got some really good stuff in here. Uh, uh, those of you who've worked with Youth for the Mission, um, they're passionate about taking the gospel to all nations and some of the really tricky parts of the world. But in, in this, um, one, of the, one of the stories in there, I'm going to read it to you. It's a reflection on Luke 2. And it's headed, A Light to the Gentiles. And I'm going to close with this. While many people in that day thought that the Messiah was only for Israel, Simeon's proclamation showed amazing insight into the Lord's long-standing plans. He was a God for all peoples. And he prepared a way for his message of salvation to be revealed in every culture. When a small team of missionaries first made contact with the Palmari tribe deep in the Amazon jungle, they got a surprising welcome. As soon as the village leader understood why they were there, she became very excited and started shouting and gesticulating. She told them that years earlier, the villagers had heard rumors that the Creator had made a way for people to know him. They were acutely aware of their separation from God and wondered how they would get this good news. So they decided to build a meeting place in expectation that God would send a messenger to them. The Palmari people led the missionaries to the meeting place. Long since rotted into a ruin in the jungle. The missionaries wept in remorse at how long it had taken for God's messengers to arrive. Who's waiting for you, for me, to share the most loving gift of all? Jesus. We pray that anyone who's waiting will be rewarded.